0: Again. My name is Tony Weeder from Liberia. And we're talking about objective truth exists and is knowable. That is the Christian truth. We can know it. It's not something hating. We cannot go find it through a witch doctor or practitioner or at a tomb. No. God has revealed it in Christ. And the next thing I want to deal with now is truth as we come to worldview. Truth is uh, the Christian truth is universal. Acts 4.12, no name given among men or women whereby we can be saved, except the name Jesus Christ. Uh, Christian truth is intelligible. Uh, It's not just something that is muddy, it's not logical, but it is intelligible. Expressible, valid proposition. We can know it through Christ. It is universally communicable. And what do I mean? It is a message of love and redemption. It explains humankind's journey from creation to fall and from fall to redemption in Christ. And so we should not be afraid or even nervous of what we believe uh, in Christ. The gospel message is not limited to one particular people or culture. It is not an American message. It is not a Jewish message. It is not an African message. It's God's message and love to all humankind. Lamin Sana in his wonderful book, Translating the Message. You see, the Christian missionaries, when they went all over the world, they were not afraid. You see, for the Muslims, uh, until in the last maybe 20 or 25 years, they are translating the, the Quran. But the first thing missionaries started doing with God's word was translated in, into the local language of the people. The first time, uh, like I said, um, uh, somewhere in one of the lectures was that uh, English is my ninth language, And when I first read John 3:16 in my dialect, I could not believe what I was seeing or hearing. I literally put the Bible down and started dancing around it. "He loves me, He loves me. I can't believe this. He actually loves me and died for me, for God so loved the world. And I'm included in that. And you are included in that. And the animus is included in that. The folk Muslims are included in that. That Christ died for us. And that's the message. A message of love. Something is. uh, It expects men and women of all cultures and nations to understand it. It claims about God and the universe. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. Be it. Ethiopian, Korean, Filipino, God wants for us to understand that claim. It goes on to say that the Christian truth, the truth of God is internally engaging. Yeah, I think it's in Ecclesiastes. It's an eternity in their heart. And this is where Don Richardson, in his beautiful book, Peace Child, I went to Papua New Guinea and looked for cultural analogies where these people as enemy tribes were fighting. But when they present the peace child, that tribe forever will never fight one another. And Don reaches and say, yes, I got them. This is exactly what God did. He sent us his peace child and that peace child is dead. Truth of God is internally engaging and momentous, not treaded or superficial. Keep that in mind. They're where God is. And let hold to those truths that God is telling us. It's not just uh, truth and internally engaging. In fact, all these things, you can find it in the wonderful uh, book by my mentor and friend, Dr. Doug Groteis, Truth Decay. He said, truth is exclusive, specific, and antithetical. What does that mean? It is not contradictory. I think Professor Josh, as you heard him in some of the classes, said that the Christian truth can be tested. The Christian truth can be evaluated. The Bible is an open book. I think it was Martin Luther, the theologian, now the civil rights leader. The German theologian said, how do you protect a lion? You tell me, how do you really protect a lion by putting it in a cage? No, you don't protect a lion like that. If a lion is in a cage, guess what? I can go as close as possible as that cage is closed and lock up. And Luther said the best way you can protect a lion is you're losing it. Now, if a lion was to walk in this class, would we be sitting here talking? No. Everyone would be looking for an escape route. And that's how God's word is. Release it. Let it go. Now, let's turn to what, what a worldview is. What is worldview? Let's try to define it. A worldview is a commitment. And this, uh, this definition comes from Jim Sire's book, The Universe Next Door, and the fifth edition. This guy have gone from book one all the way to book five. The fifth edition. Worldview is a commitment. Uh, you and I have made a commitment and not just that, a worldview is also fundamental organi- uh, orientation of the heart that can be, now listen to this, expressed as a story or in a set of presuppositions. Whether it's through the, the chisel of uh, Manca, Michelangelo or the worldview of Hitler, who saw that the German race was better than other people. But these I think we developed or assumptions which may be true or partially true or entirely false, which we hold consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously, consistently or inconsistently about the basic constitution of reality. And that provides the foundation on which we live and move and have our being. Wow. That's a lot in there. First is a commitment. In a simple Simple, I like simple definition. Um, a worldview is like a glasses and like my glasses I'm wearing. That's the only way I see through that. Those are the lenses I see the world. Who's God? What, you know what's happened to a man or woman when they pass away, when they die? What happens? Uh, what is real? What is the human condition? Uh, John Owen in his book that said that... Viewed of God and man. And in it he said that if we have a wrong view of God, we would definitely have a wrong view of men and women. And this is what's happening. A wrong view of God, I have a wrong view of life. A, no, a wrong view of God, of course, I see other men and women as in a tribal context. Not human beings or because they are not part of my tribe. So let's keep that in mind. It's a commitment. And by the time you are three or seven Someone said about Moses' mother, uh, uh, they believe that Moses was only seven when he left his house to go to Pharaoh's uh, house and live there for the uh, rest of his life, the other 23 years or so when he spent there. But within those seven years, Moses' worldview had been shaped by his mother. And for the first time, when Moses came back, just imagine after 23 years living in Pharaoh's house, he come out, the first thing Moses sees is injustice. And you ask yourself, but how did he know that these people were his people? How did he know that the Jewish race was his people when he had spent all more years in Pharaoh's house? Because in seven years, his mother has developed his worldview. Culture is a learned behavior we learn it. We learn to hate. We learn to, to, to be racist. We learn to be tribal. It's a commitment. Then he goes on James, I go and it's fundamental orientation of our heart that can be expressed as his story. I can explain that as his story. It's not just that he said, assumptions, we assume at times, Um, You remember the Yoruba proverb? uh, The Yoruba are from Nigeria. They said, faults are like mountains. You stand on yours and you look at others. Isn't that a good proverb? But with our worldview as Christians, we need to change the world. And then when you hear that, you say, but Tony, how can we even do that? I give you a quick proverb from, I think it's from Central Africa or West Africa. All right, it's from Africa. Listen. You ready for this proverb? It says that if you think you are too small to bring about a change, if you think you are too small to bring about a change, then you have never shared a bed with a mosquito. Have you ever slept with a mosquito in the same bedroom? Do they bring change in your bed? Okay, you you, you got a picture, right? If you think you cannot bring about change because you are too small, that means you have never shared a bed with a mosquito. Worldview. And then lastly, is it the foundation on which we live and move and have our being. I think Jim Sire really hit it on the nail right there. And he, hitting it on the nail, that's an, an American idiom. I have no clue what it means, but that means he got it right. Uh, he got it right. It is the foundation on which we live and move. My worldview, the, the food I eat, the way I dress, the way I walk, uh, the, the wife I married, uh, no, uh, what have you, uh, the movie I watch, uh, the, the sports I like, and what have, all of that have been shaped by the culture that I grew up in. And now we move on to certainly not from animistic on domination, on spirit world, to Western secular worldview, which has denied the spirit world. I think it's in Ravi Zacharias' book, um, how to call it, "Delivers from Evil. He said that the Western world has gone from what? A supernatural belief to a secular society. And when you live in a secular society, the supernatural becomes private. And when, once that becomes private, faith also becomes private. And in a pluralistic world, truth becomes limited within your culture. That's a more <laughs> um, B, it says that to, to, a more, to a more biblical worldview, while recognizing the existing and work of Satan and evil spirits, no longer living under the fear and domination by these spirits, resisting and growing up in Christ by abiding in him. Let us come on that a little bit to a more biblical worldview. What do I mean by that? First, we recognize that Satan does exist among us. uh, That he's the evil one. Remember the drama in Job? Job had no clue what was going on on the other side of the world. Satan comes and says that uh, uh, he's going to and fro in the world. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? And listen to his reply. He said, how will Job not be faithful to you when you have put a hedge around him? Remove those hedges and see whether Job will not curse you to your face. And God said, go ahead. He's in your hand, except for his life. So this is why Job's, or Mrs. Job said, go ahead. Curse God and die. So, but let us recognize that Satan do as is. But at the same time, let us know that greater is he that is in us. he that is in the world keep that in mind greater greater is he that is in us christ is greater he's better he's the way this is why the book of hebrews if you have time spend some time reading hebrews chapter one christ is better Chapter 2, we should not drift because Christ is greater. Chapter 3, he's better than Moses. Chapter 4, we should not waver in order for us to enter God's rest. Chapter 5, they introduce us to Melchizedek and what have you. And then chapter 6, before he tells us the problem, what's the problem he's writing about? We are dull of hearing. That's what the Hebrew writer is talking about dull of hearing so let us have a more biblical worldview and but recognizing recognizing the existing of the evil one and evil spirit now don't just stop that but no longer living under the fear domination by these spirits resisting and growing in christ by abiding in him ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 Paul said, Put on the belt of truth, uh, put on the full armor, but the belt of truth, the breastplate, and the shoes of the gospel to take it to people. Let's keep that in mind. We couldn't be more better, but abiding in Christ. I think it's John chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Abide in me, and I abide in you. That's what we are saying as we engage these people. And we come to another one again in terms of visions and dreams. We have discussed that. Do not belittle dreams or visions. Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on this because we talked about it before. But they can be a God to the truth. I see in Acts chapter 10, you remember? Uh, Pilate's wife, you remember that? And in Matthew twenty-seven nineteen, all that should not be taken as a God by believers if out of line with scripture. That's the key. Respect dreams and visions, we should not be little them, but they should be in the context of scripture. We should never, ever compromise the truth of the gospel because we want to please those that we are, you know, we are witnessing to. No, that's not the point I want for us to get from this lesson. The next one, don't teach them the Quran if they don't know it. Please don't do that. Why would you even want to teach them the Quran? Forget about it. Uh, If in the dark, let them stay in the dark, but teach them the scripture. They don't necessarily know or value the Quran uh, or value the Quran for its theological content. You remember what we said Uh, in a previous hour? The Quran become a magical book. Uh, They take verses from there, write it on a, a bold drink it or sit at a mosque and people come and drink it for protection or they put it on a window Uh, those are the things that's how they see the Quran rather they see the words as having power to answer the need for protection against spirits the unknown uh, spirit world and sickness so why would you want to teach the Quran when they themselves don't even value the Quran and when there's a misunderstanding of that they see it as what? The words become what? To answer need for protection. Um, again, when you come to wealth gospel among Christians in Africa, the Bible has become a magical book, like I said, a Zen text. They go there, and God is going to make me rich. God is going to heal me. No, this is not a theology of suffering. I think it's in 1 uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 21. They say, Christ died or Christ suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his full step suffering the suffering uh theology of suffering so those are the things that we should teach them present present christ as what um present jesus as the one who overcame the powers healed the sick gods in the future keep that in mind let me go over that again present christ as the powers heal the sick gods in the future is near in the holy spirit and gives us true peace salam, and blessings this is where every muslim especially in the west african context the everywhere you go in fact this is where um uh, let me use an american idiom here they call it the icebreaker. okay this is how you break the ice i don't know what that means i know you are afraid of the cold and i am also but this is the best way you meet a group of muslims you say salam Immediately, they always jump, uh, salam. I bring you peace and you return to peace. And this is where this peace. Do you know how I became a Christian? It's a long story. And so what we do after class, I will take the class for lunch. You will pay and I will pray. What about that? In Philippians 4, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. They said the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. It is the peace that Islam doesn't understand. And they are seeking all over the world. Through trees, through rocks, through ancestors' worship. But this is the peace that God has given us. The peace child. God came to us in the form of a human being and died for us. They said he healed the sick. You remember Mark chapter 2? Where the people climb the roof. You remember the story about that? They climbed the roof, pulled this man down through the roof, and Jesus healed this man. You can go on and on and see the power of Jesus Christ over demons, what have you, healing the sick. God's in the future. He will guide us to the future. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. Oh, yes, in the Western, in terms of philosophy, there's inclusiveness. No, I don't believe in that. There's only one way to God. If you and I don't reach the Muslims, trust me, it is sad to say, but I have to say it, they are going to hell. It is our responsibility as Christians to reach them with the gospel true. Keep that in mind. And then, he's near in the Holy Spirit and gives us true peace. When you read John and Muslims have claimed that, you know, John's 14, 15, and 16 is talking about Prophet Muhammad. That's false. I'm sure you will uh, uh, lecture, uh, You will see the lecture by Professor Josh when he talks about that in the Koran and they claim that Muhammad is in the Bible. But this is what Jesus said after in John 14, this morning before coming here, I was reading John 14. What Jesus he said, don't let your heart be troubled. And that's the problem we have, be it an animistic society or a folk society for Islamic society. Do not let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place. Again, going back to Lamin Sanabok, translating the message. When I first read that in my own dialect, God in the flesh is going up to heaven to prepare a place for me. Guess what? He's coming back. I think that would be the first flight I don't have to pay for. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that. And where he is, there I will be. So it means that I don't have to blow myself up in order, a jihad in order to go to paradise. He's already preparing a place, God said. And when I'm done preparing, I will come in person. And I would take you there. Christians call it a rapture. And like, uh, like I said, it's a flight we don't have to pay anything for. But What a day that would be. There's a song that actually says it. What a day of rejoicing that would be when we all see Jesus. Wow. Uh, I, I'm sorry for getting excited. <laughs> but I, it, it just sometimes it, it chills come in my body when I read those words. That God Himself is going to prepare a play for me. That I will not leave you homeless. And then in John 15, he said he's divine and we are the branches. Relationship. That's the peace I'm talking about. He gives us true peace and blessings. In fact, First Peter, in his uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he bursts out. Is you know, he's giving God a eulogy. You see, eulogy is done for the dead. But Peter is saying that, praise God for what? He has rescued us, given us an inheritance. Can you imagine that? God has written us a will, and I'm I'm actually in that will. And you and I, our names are in the will. And that will is kept somewhere in heaven where nothing can touch it. Peter said it will never be destroyed or fade away. No person can touch it. That's our hope and that's our peace.